CanvasPeople.com is an easy-to-use photo-to-canvas service that takes your favorite pictures and turns them into beautiful artwork for you to enjoy. When I first learned of CanvasPeople.com, I sent them a photo from my wedding, and they returned a beautiful canvas for me to display. Join the millions of happy CanvasPeople.com customers today. Send your favorite image and receive a high-quality canvas made in the USA with fast shipping. Canvas People is a perfect gift for the holidays. Visit CanvasPeople.com and enter code GONE at checkout to receive a free 11 by 14 canvas. You just pay shipping. That's a savings of $69.99. That's CanvasPeople.com. Promo code GONE. You are listening to the Already Gone podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. May 2007. It's the end of the winter term, and 22-year-old Kelly Nolan just completed her junior year at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Kelly decides to get a place in Madison for the summer. It's a great town, a college town, and summer is the perfect time to be there. She can work, save some money for the fall, and be in the thick of nightlife, hang out with her friends, and she's still only 20 minutes from her mother and sisters back home in Wanakee. Kelly moves into her summer apartment on Mifflin Street the weekend of May 18th. On Friday, June 22nd, Kelly is well settled into her new place. She has a part-time job, but needs to line up a second job so she has money to set aside for the fall term. Kelly starts her day with a job interview, and afterward she meets up with her sister, April, and they spend the day together. Kelly has plans with friends that night to enjoy some of the abundant nightlife in Madison. But Kelly will disappear leading her family and law enforcement on a heart-wrenching search to find her. Come with me to the summer of 2007, to a warm summer night in Madison, the heart of a college town. Kelly Nolan had a rough go of things in the months leading up to her disappearance. She didn't have a great driving record, starting with a crash in 2005 where she was at fault, and two drunk driving convictions. The second, in spring of 2007, led to a two-week stay in the Walworth County Jail and suspension of her license. 2006 hadn't been an easy year either. She'd lost both her father and stepmother. But the summer of 2007? Things are looking up. Kelly is well-liked, with many friends, and she's also well-loved, close with her mother and her two sisters. The new apartment, new job, and a warm summer of fun lay before her. Her final year of college would start in the fall. Kelly was studying speech communications and looked forward to her senior year. After her morning job interview and an afternoon spent with her sister, Kelly has plans to hang out with friends that night in Madison. Grab dinner, a few drinks, catch up. Around midnight, her friends decide it's time to go. But Kelly is having fun and chooses to remain at the bar. She has a late-night phone call with her sister, April, but that's the last time her family will hear from her. When Kelly didn't respond to calls on Saturday, 
Her family was concerned. On Sunday, she was still nowhere to be found, which sent Kelly's family to the police department to report her missing. Kelly's friends and family search for her, calling everyone who she may have been in contact with that weekend. They make up flyers and pepper downtown Madison with them. Police are retracing Kelly's steps based on conversations with her friends. They ask about surveillance footage from local businesses. They're hoping to catch a glimpse of the brown-haired student and piece together her movements that night. But they're not successful. There isn't video to help them track Kelly. What they learn is that around midnight, she separated from her friends and later placed a call to her sister. About 2 a.m., she left the Lava Lounge on Gilman Street with a young man who was walking her home. The man, known only as Andrew, was walking with Kelly when the two ran into a second man that Kelly also knew, and he offered to walk her the rest of the way. Andrew figured that since she knew him, it was okay, and he went on his way. You'd think that with an escort home from a friend, she would be safe, but Kelly never made it back to her efficiency apartment on Mifflin Street. The 22-year-old brunette with shoulder-length hair was last seen wearing a green sleeveless top, blue jeans, high-heeled sandals, and carrying a gray purse. In early July, law enforcement coordinates a search of nearby Lake Mendota by a dive team, but they don't find the missing student. On July 7th, a reward of $10,000 is offered for information leading to the return of Kelly Nolan. Tips continue to come in, but there's no sign of Kelly and no word from her for those who wait. The weekend of July 13th, the Wanakee Piggly Wiggly Grocery Store, where Kelly's mother works, holds a fundraiser to benefit the family and raise money toward the reward for Kelly's safe return. The community rallies around the Nolan family. It's not until the third week of July when a body is recovered in a rural area some 10 miles south of where Kelly was last seen that the investigation shifts from a missing persons case to a murder investigation. Using DNA, dental records, and fingerprints, the coroner confirms that 22-year-old Kelly Nolan is no longer missing. After her remains are located, law enforcement is literally on their hands and knees searching the wooded area where she was recovered. They're looking for any scrap of evidence in the case. Quoting spokesman Joel Despain, they are going to pull out all the stops and bring in all sorts of forensic experts. And that's exactly what they did. Almost a dozen agencies, including Madison Police, University of Wisconsin Police, the FBI, the State Police, and the Dunn County Sheriff, they were on hand to collect anything that may be helpful to the investigation. A forensic entomologist worked the case as well, studying insect activity as law enforcement tried to nail down a timeline. Kelly's body remained at the scene for hours after discovery in the hopes of preserving the crime scene and gleaning as much information as possible about her killer. A few days after she is discovered, a man who lives in the area where her remains were found, he reaches out to police. He says he'd smelled what he assumed was a dead deer, but didn't think it was anything suspicious, and he wishes he'd reported it sooner. Kelly's body was found in a rural area that is dotted with riding stables and the occasional home. This man 
and the 86-year-old woman who owns the property where Nolan's remains were recovered, they are both ruled out. I should mention that the location where Kelly's body was found is part of a 20-acre wooded parcel, and her remains were about 10 feet, or three or four meters, away from the road. After her body is found, a parade of gawkers begins cruising the area. They're hoping for a look at the spot where Kelly was dumped. There are so many looky-loos that residents begin posting no trespassing signs in their yards and on their drives. Saturday, July 21st, 2007, a funeral is held for Kelly Nolan in her hometown of Wanakee. St. John the Baptist Catholic Church is filled with more than 300 friends, relatives, and well-wishers. Because Kelly's body is still at the coroner's office, a photograph of Kelly and a single candle are positioned at the front of the church in place of her remains. In addition to friends and family, in church that day are members of law enforcement, both to pay their respects and to see who is and who is not in attendance at the service. Reverend Eric Sternberg, who leads the service, tells attendees, quote, Pray to God that justice will be done. Meanwhile, the coroner isn't saying much about how Kelly Nolan died and police aren't willing to say if they are looking for one or more suspects in the case. Detectives from Madison and from the Dane County Sheriff's Department are working the case along with investigators from other agencies. As August draws to a close, students begin returning to the Madison campus. They're particularly concerned about the unsolved murder. The university encourages students to be responsible for their own safety, and suggestions include drink in moderation, going out in groups, and always having a plan to get home safely. School officials are questioned by parents about campus safety, and on-campus self-defense classes are well attended. In September, three months after her body was recovered from a wooded area 10 miles south of where she was last seen in Madison, Kelly's heartbroken family makes a public plea for information. Surely someone saw who she was with that night. Someone knows what happened. More tips come in, and additional leads are generated, and of course police follow up. They question hundreds of people, but they can't find the one piece of the puzzle that they need. As 2008 begins, police catch grief from the community that more information should have been released about the case, People want to know what happened. They are particularly curious about Kelly's late-night call to her sister, April. What did April hear from Kelly that night, and is it relevant to her case? Both law enforcement and Kelly's family are tight-lipped about details surrounding Kelly's phone call to her sister. And Kelly's cause of death is not made public. Those of us who follow cases and investigation... Sometimes you forget that police cannot release all the details. They need to hold facts in reserve, things that only the killer, or killers, would be privy to. Holding some of this information back minimizes the risk of false confessions and copycat killings. The summer of 2008 marks the one-year anniversary of the death of Kelly Nolan. Police remain tight-lipped about Kelly's cause of death, in the years since she vanished and her remains were recovered, they followed up on literally hundreds of leads. 
Kelly's sister, April Nolan, tells the press that not knowing what happened to Kelly is, quote, worse than any story, no matter how hard it may be to hear. Her family wants to know what happened to their loved one and who took Kelly Nolan from them. While details about Kelly's cause of death are kept quiet for many years, in 2014, her death certificate is amended to say that she died from homicidal violence, including, quote, blunt force trauma to the torso. In 2017, the case remains open and unsolved. Police remain hopeful that new tips and information will lead them to the person or persons involved in the brutal murder of Kelly Nolan, a sister, daughter, student, and friend. As I worked on this case, I was fortunate to speak with Madison Police Department spokesman Joel Despain. Despain is quoted in the earliest stories of Kelly's disappearance. He's followed her case since the very beginning, working with detectives and providing information to the press. We will hear from him after this word from our sponsor. Zola is the wedding company that will do anything for love. It's fun, free, and so easy to use. Zola has over 500 top brands and 50,000 gifts, experiences, and cash funds. The group gifting feature lets multiple guests contribute to big ticket gifts. Plus, Zola offers price matching and free shipping every day. I've had the pleasure of shopping Zola. The site is sleek, intuitive, easy to navigate, and they offer gifts for every style and budget. Zola's full suite of tools can be managed from the Zola Weddings app for iPhone and Android. To sign up with Zola and receive the $50 credit towards your registry, go to Zola.com slash gone. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash gone and receive a $50 credit toward your registry. Join over 300,000 couples who have used Zola. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash gone. And could you please introduce yourself for the listeners? Yeah, I'm Joel Despain. I'm the public information officer for the Madison Police Department in Wisconsin. Okay, and today we're talking about the 2007 murder of Kelly Nolan. That's right. And she was last seen in Madison uh, at a place called the Lava Lounge. Well, she was last seen in the State Street area, which is sort of the entertainment district of Madison in the center of the city. So uh, if you've ever been to Madison or if you take a look at a Google map, you have the state capitol and then you have the UW-Madison campus, and the street that connects those is State Street. So Kelly Nolan was out with friends uh, the night of her disappearance socializing and was at a number of different places and was last seen in the State Street area, we think, around 2.30 in the morning. And again, that would have been uh, in June of, of 2007. And she was originally thought to be a missing persons case. It originally came in as a missing persons case, um, and we spent uh, probably a month trying to figure out what had happened to Kelly. And it was uh, finally a cell phone ping, uh, which we weren't sure was a good ping or not, uh, that led us uh, generally to an area south of Madison. Uh, there's a village of Oregon, uh, which in fact was having its Summerfest celebration on the weekend that oh, Kelly wow. disappeared. But her body was found uh, in a very rural area, uh, in a wooded area, uh, south of Madison, between the city of Madison and the village of Oregon, so about 10 miles uh, south of of State Street. So uh, we believe that Kelly left the State Street area, 
either by force or voluntarily uh, with one or more people and then ended up in this wooded area 10 miles south of what we call our isthmus area. And we don't believe that Kelly had any connection to this area where her body was found. And it looks like, from what I read in the news, that she was literally found on the property of a little old lady. Yeah, there uh, again, these are some fairly large properties. Uh, there is a uh, riding stables across the street, and she was found uh, in, a, in a wooded area of uh, a woman's property. And again, uh, we've thoroughly vetted and taken a look at uh, those who live in that area and haven't been able to uh, determine that anyone there was uh, at all involved in this. So we think, you know, Kelly left the downtown area uh, with someone. Uh, again, either she went with them because she wanted to, to do that or somebody dragged her out of the downtown. Now, we don't have any witnesses uh, telling us that they saw uh, a woman in distress or somebody being you know, pulled out of that area. And again, th- this is our entertainment district. And even at 2.30 in the morning on, on a summer night, there are going to be quite a few people around. Yeah. Um, and the irony is uh, when this took place, uh, there were no surveillance cameras in that entertainment district. Uh, fast forward 10 years later, and there are all sorts of cameras down there. Right. Uh, we've we've got a lot of cameras. Uh, UW-Madison has cameras. Additionally, we have cameras at a number of intersections uh, where a vehicle, a car, SUV, a pickup truck would have passed going from downtown Madison to this area uh, south of the city where she was found. So, you know, unfortunately, we don't have any of that video surveillance imagery that could have really helped, but we don't have any of that going back 10 years ago. Which is so, which is so frustrating. Things, yeah, it is a little frustrating, and things have uh, certainly changed a lot in the advantage of our ability to be able to determine what has happened sometimes in the, in the center city. So we've, uh, you know, exhausted any number of leads, uh, I mean, hundreds of them. You know, some would call it a cold case. I don't know that I would do that. Uh, We have a detective assigned to this and sometimes more than one determining on when leads come in. And in fact, the lead detective in the case had something that he thought looked really, really good just within the last month. Uh, it didn't pan out again, but uh, right. you know, we have we have nowhere near giving up on uh, Kelly and her family and, and trying to bring justice uh, in this case. Well, and she was one of three girls. Her mother and two sisters have been in contact with you and are still optimistic that someone is going to come forward with that piece of information. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Kelly uh, grew up in a, a town just, just north of Madison called Wanakee. It's almost a, a bedroom community to the Madison area. Uh, her family is very well known. Uh, her mother uh, worked, uh, at least uh, last I knew, maybe still working there at the local Piggly Wiggly grocery store. Very well-liked family, and, and Kelly was very well-liked. Now, at the time that uh, she disappeared, she was actually attending college in, at UW-Whitewater, which is south of Madison, and had come into Madison to live for the summer, which uh, many people do, and uh, was really you know, enjoying her time in Madison. And, of course, she grew up in this area. And uh, I think, you know, we're generally a pretty safe community, and uh, we don't see young women disappearing from uh, our center city. And so this is a case that attracted a great deal of attention when it took place. And still today, as as we talk, uh, it's something that I think, you know, there are many, many people in this community who have not forgotten and, and want, you know, help the police department if they can. And certainly we believe that, uh, you know, there may have been more than one person who was with Kelly. Uh, There may be others who've heard someone talk over time. 
uh, who, or they may uh, know of someone whose behavior changed dramatically after Kelly's disappearance and death. So we still think that there are others out there who have not stepped forward. I think we know in the passage of time, sometimes people's conscience uh, gets the best of them, and perhaps they're now thinking, I, I want to do the right thing. And again, as you were just talking about Kelly's uh, family, um, I mean, the grieving never stops. And i, I got to believe that every day they think about her. They're not as uh, public as some families, but that uh, nonetheless doesn't detract from what they've lost. And, and she was, you know, by all accounts, just a wonderful, loving, great person, a great daughter, a great friend that did nothing uh, to, to deserve what took place here. She was just out enjoying herself like lots of other young people were that very night. Now, I want to go back to something you said, because it's in my notes. I actually wrote this down. Um, in a June 2008 story, the one-year anniversary, you mentioned that someone may have had a lifestyle change over the summer mm -hmm. or fall of 2007, which could be connected to Nolan's murder. Can you elaborate on what, what you mean by a lifestyle change a little bit? Well, you know, I think that if, if this is someone who's not a cold-blooded killer, if this is someone who met Kelly and was out with her and for some reason something went terribly wrong, that they may have had a, a job and they were doing well, they may have been in a relationship, uh, and all of a sudden all of that stuff starts to change. They become distant to the people that they knew and loved. Uh, maybe they moved, maybe they quit their job. Um, I mean, there are a lot of different things that I think someone who's uh, responsible for such a heinous crime, if they're, you know, an otherwise decent person, and, and of course anyone who did this is not a decent person, but right. I'm saying that they, you know, it, it could have been that somebody was living a, a fairly normal life up until this point, or it could be that, you know, uh, Kelly met with uh, someone who's a drifter-type person who, uh, you know, again, maybe pulled her from State Street and, right. and has no remorse. And so certainly, you know, we don't know that someone's behavior would have changed. But again, depending on the type of person who killed Kelly, it's a possibility that they had a, a significant change in life and behavior after this crime was committed. Okay, so it could be an indicator Right. Could, yeah. We. we yeah. We, and again, we don't know who killed Kelly, obviously, or, or right. we wouldn't be having the conversation. So we don't know what type of person this is, but certainly it's a possibility. Again, we don't have a report of anybody forcefully taking Kelly from the downtown area. Not that that didn't happen, but we, you know, again, there would have been people out, and, and there were people out who saw her, uh, and uh, she was talking with people and having a, a good evening. And so it, it's possible she decided just to, to go with someone to, to socialize and that this person took advantage of that situation or more than one person. We, we don't know. Um, and if that's the case, then it, it certainly could be that the, the person or people responsible for her death did have a, a distinct change in, in behavior or lifestyle following the, the, the homicide. Okay. And going back to downtown Madison, which I've never been to, but you make it sound really wonderful, and I have friends it is up there, it's great. so yeah. maybe I need to come up. <laughs> she was going from that sort of uh, nightclub entertainment center to her apartment on Mifflin. Well, we don't know we that think. for certain. Yeah, no, okay. the, the, We believe that she was uh, most likely heading down to what we call Lower State Street. So Upper State Street would be the state capital of Wisconsin. Lower State Street uh, would be the UW campus. Okay. Um, there are parking structures 
uh, down towards that lower end of State Street. And again, we don't know because there were no surveillance cameras and we don't have eyewitnesses telling us this, but we at least believe that there's a good possibility that she went with someone. Somehow she got down to this area where she was killed, and and we believe that was probably by vehicle. So we're thinking that she likely got into some type of vehicle uh, that could have been parked in that lower State Street area, and then, uh, you know, again, she ended up in this this wooded area 10 miles south of, of downtown Madison. Okay, and that area seems to be a place of convenience that she was left? Because I, I, looking at yeah. the maps, it looks like there's a couple of sort of straight shots driving-wise to get mm-hmm. there. Yeah, there are a couple of highways that, that head down that way, um, you know, that are fairly uh, well-traveled. But the area where she's found, it's hard to believe that somebody would have just stumbled upon that area okay. uh, by chance. You know, so we think that it's, there's a, a likelihood that the person or people responsible for her murder may have known of that area for some reason. Again, uh, we know that this uh, festival was going on in, in Oregon. It was nearby, and we don't have any reason to believe Kelly was there. Uh, but could these people who or person who's responsible, could they have been connected in some way to that festival? We don't know. But again, it's sort of a marker for us. Uh, because it was the, you know, there would have been a lot of people in the village of Oregon that night, and there would have been a lot of people in downtown Madison that night, and she ended up in between the two in a fairly, you know, isolated roadway in some trees. And if someone does have information about the case, who should they call? Well, we have a, a Crime Stoppers line here in at our police department, uh, which is area code 608 uh, 266-6014, 608-266-6014. Like many uh, of these types of lines, callers can remain anonymous. Uh, we do have a, a small uh, reward that people could uh, be eligible for if the information they pass on is good. But I, I think more than anything, we just think it's time that someone do the right thing and let us know uh, what happened to Kelly and why and that uh, we find the person or people responsible and, and, and bring justice to this case. Because I can tell you that no one here has said, okay, we're not going to solve this one. The, the thought is we are going to solve this. We're going to keep working and working, going back over all of what we've you know done in the past, uh, make sure that we didn't miss something, and then continue to push forward and, and look for new leads and to appeal to people who are out there is to let people know that this was a wonderful young woman who's been missed every day by her family for 10 years, and not just her family, but but friends. Uh, Kelly was a very well-liked person uh, in Wanakee, and she touched a lot of lives at UW-Whitewater while she was in school there, and she touched a lot of lives while she was in downtown Madison. And hopefully someone who's hearing this will remember something, or they didn't speak to the police 10 years ago, and they've since moved on, but if you haven't come forward, now would be the time, even if you don't necessarily think it's significant. It yeah, could and be. a lot of times it, it isn't uh, something someone thinks is significant, but uh, you know maybe they took a pass 10 years ago and thought, well, this is nothing, and, and let us make that decision whether it's, it's nothing. And I, I do believe that whoever's responsible, people talk. Someone out there probably has heard something, and maybe for out of some loyalty they've wanted to protect someone, but you know maybe the time has come where it, it's time to stand up and do the right thing and, and be strong and, and call the police. And bring some relief to Kelly's family and loved ones. Absolutely. It's been a while since I've seen her mother, but 
the toll it has taken on her just to look at her can't imagine i don't even want to know what it's like to lose a child particularly under these circumstances and so these have been 10 long years and i know that uh, kelly's family continues to, to support our police department and what we're trying to do but stranger homicides are tough uh, yeah. very hard and again uh, unfortunately there was a passage of time between when kelly uh, disappeared and when we found her as the years have gone by, the leads have continued to come in, as I mentioned, and we think at some point that we're going to be on the right one, and uh, we'll be able to update the, the information on this case and let people know that we've got someone under arrest. It's heartening to hear that you remain optimistic that this not only is solvable, but that it will be solved. We're committed to, to that, and uh, we've told Kelly's family that. And again, these detectives who've been working on it, the the one primary detective, they've had fresh leads even recently. So even though 10 years have gone by, uh, they continue to pour through everything they've got and uh, use some of the new technology that we have and taking a look at phone records and everything else that's out there and make sure there isn't something that we've missed that may lead us to the killer. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, not only about Kelly, but about the case and the investigation and the work that you've been doing. Yes, absolutely, and I hope that uh, perhaps the podcast uh, will will bring us what we need, and that, that would be just wonderful. It really would. If you have information about the death of Kelly Nolan, or if you were with Kelly that night and have not yet spoken to police, they would like to hear from you. Please contact Crime Stoppers at area code 608-266-6014. There is a reward available. Kelly's case was a listener's suggestion. Thank you, Ashley, for recommending her story. If you have comments, questions, or feedback about the show, you can email me, host at alreadygonepodcast.com. I'm on Twitter at alreadygonepod, and you can find the podcast on Facebook, or you can join the Already Gone Podcast discussion group. We are thankful for this week's sponsors, Zola, the online registry portal. Visit Zola.com slash gone. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash gone and receive a $50 credit toward your registry. Also, CanvasPeople.com. Get a free 11 by 14 canvas. You just pay shipping. I love my CanvasPeople.com canvas and it makes a great gift. That's CanvasPeople.com. Use code GONE at checkout. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone. Thank you for listening, and please, be safe. <laughs>